0: Well, I also want to add my welcome to the youth and the leaders from Corinth Reformed Church, and we hope you feel welcome here. And we're in the midst of a series on the Psalms this summer. We just started last week with Psalm 23, and this week we're going to look at Psalm 63. Psalm 27, 8 says, God speaking, or David speaking back to God, you have said to me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Let's pray. Father, you tell us this morning, both in this text and in others, in the Psalms, to seek your face. We want to respond with David by saying this morning, your face, O Lord, do we seek. We seek your face right now. We want to seek your face every day. So we ask that you would come and teach us what it means this morning to seek your face. In Jesus' name we ask it. Well, seeking the Lord is our theme this morning. I've titled the sermon Seeking Your God. And as I just quoted Psalm 27, 8, Seek My Face, Seeking the Lord means seeking his presence. Presence is a common translation of the Hebrew word for face. Literally, we are to seek God's face. But this is the Hebraic way of saying that seek access to God. Seek his presence. To be before his face is to be in his presence. But the logical question is, aren't God's children always in God's presence? I mean, God's omnipotence. In the present. He's everywhere. So, aren't his children always in his presence? Well, yes and no. Yes, in two senses. First, in the sense that God is omnipresent and therefore always near everything and near everyone, and since he holds everything in being and in existence, and his power is ever present in every place, then yes, in that sense, we are always in his presence. We're also always in his presence as his children in the sense of his commitment to us. In Christ, he always stands by us and works for us and turns everything for our good. As Jesus reminded us at the conclusion of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always. So in those two senses, we are always in God's presence. But there is a sense in which God's presence is not with us always. For this reason, the Bible calls us to seek the Lord. We see that theme Right through the Psalms, seek the Lord, seek his presence continually, Psalm 105, verse 4. So God's manifested, conscious, trusted presence is what we are to seek. And that is not always our constant experience. There are seasons when we become neglectful of the Lord and give him no thought and don't put the trust in him that we need to and we find him, quote, unquote, unmanifested in our lives. That is, unperceived as the great and beautiful and valuable being that he is. So his face can be hidden. And this condition is always ready to overtake us, the hiding of God's face from us, his manifested, conscious, trusted presence. And that's why we're told, to seek the Lord. God calls us to enjoy continual consciousness of his supreme greatness, beauty, and worth. Many of those insights come from an article, the ones that I've just shared with you. Many of those insights come from an article by John Piper on what it means to seek the Lord. And in Psalm 63, we get a massive unpacking of what it is to seek the Lord. Let me give you a little bit of background on this psalm. You'll notice what we call the superscription or the the title of the psalm a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Obviously, we know the author is David, God's great king and servant. And it gives us the occasion in which he wrote the psalm when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, there are only two accounts in the Bible of David being in the wilderness when he could have wrote this or could have written this. One is when he was fleeing from King Saul, or the second, when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. I tend to think it's the second situation because in verse 11, David refers to himself as the king, and he was not king when Saul was pursuing him. So I believe David wrote this in the time period recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 19. Let me give you a little bit of the background story. The story is of Absalom, David's son's rebellion against David. Absalom's estranged from his father. David because he felt that David had mistreated him. So Absalom spent four years on a campaign winning over the hearts of the people, making himself conveniently available to the complaints of the people by sitting beside the road, if you'll remember. When Absalom thought he had a majority of support, he was ready to set up a rival kingship to David's kingship in the nearby city of Hebron. David was caught off guard by all of this and feared an attack on Jerusalem. So he fled the city with many loyal soldiers and headed east. He left weeping and crying in the night as Absalom moved toward Jerusalem to sack it. So David crossed the Jordan and hid in the desert region of the Judean wilderness with Absalom in hot pursuit. And it's in the midst of this wilderness wandering that David seeks God and pens Psalm 63. And we learn much from Psalm 63 about what it means to seek the Lord. And I want us to look at four things that seeking the Lord involves this morning. What does it mean to seek the Lord? We're going to talk about four areas in our lives, or four components, I should say, four components of seeking God. And all four components have to be here in order for God to be truly sought and truly known and his conscious, manifested, trusted presence be in our lives. Here's the first one. Seeking God involves passion for God. Seeking God involves Involves passion for God. Look at verse 1. Oh, God. You know, just stop there. Just, oh, God. Oh, God. Those O's are there for a reason. Oh, God. This is not an, oh, my God. This is an, oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's in a desert. And as he looks around, he doesn't say, oh, God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for Absalom. All of his focus is on the God in whom he trusts, the God he seeks, the God who is his God. This verse is full of God. God, you are my God, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. You, 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 you are the big thing in my life. Remember the occasion here. David is seeking God as a result of a very fearful and difficult circumstance. And this is where seeking God begins. Passion for God is born out of trial and difficulty. It's born out of struggle. No one begins seeking God until God rocks their life. Something shakes them up, crushes them. Something shows them their need and creates a felt sense of inadequacy. Because you see, the greatest obstacle in our lives to seeking the Lord is our own pride and self-reliance. Psalm 10, verse 4, listen to this. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. Pride, self-reliance is what keeps us from seeking God. Therefore, humility is essential. And this verse here is an expression of David's profound humility. Now notice something with me. He says, "O God, you are my God. The way that we know that we have a a relationship with God, the way that we know that we're seeking the Lord biblically, is that you have growing in your life an increasing appetite for God, an increasing appetite, a hunger for God. The way you know you're really moving toward God is the degree to which you feel your distance from him. It's ironic, kind of backwards but the way you actually know that you're moving toward God is the feeling of distance that you feel. The sense of his absence is the sign of his presence. The sense that I need God is a sign that God is there. The deeper the sense of God's absence, the greater his presence is in our life. And we see that in David. I mean, He is longing with passion for God. Now, he says, oh, God, you are my God. This is very important. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, God, he he says, oh, God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. He doesn't say, oh, God, earnestly I seek you, and therefore you are my God. In other words, you're my God because I go after you. That's why you're my God. He does not say that. He did not seek God so that God would become his God. Rather, God became his God so he sought him. Finding God is not the result of seeking God. Seeking God is the result of being found by God. And that's important because that's gospel. That's gospel. We get right with God on his terms through Christ. Jesus has fully lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die as a result of our sin, and through his work alone, we have everything we need to gain full access into the trusted, manifested, conscious presence of God. And it's through virtue of that, 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 that what Christ won for us, that we have this relationship with God. And passion for God flows from relationship with God. Seeking God is the result of, Of having been found by him. Now, let me just make a brief application regarding passion for God. Sometimes we talk about, you know, how can we become more passionate for God? Well, what does David teach us here? What do we, if we could get inside his passion here, inside verse 1, and really explore what's going on with David in his heart right now? What's, what, here's what we know. We grow in passion for God, not by seeking to be passionate for God. We don't grow in passion for God by seeking to be passionate for God. Rather, we we grow in passion for God as we grow in our relationship and understanding of what we already enjoy by virtue of our relationship with him. What David is tapping into right now in, his, in, in expressing this is, God, you are already on my side. You are already with me. I don't feel your presence. I need your presence. I need your help. But this is all flowing out of a man who knows his God, and he's not seeking him to get God to love him. Here's the way Derek Kidner puts it. The longing of these verses, of verse 1, Is not the groping of a stranger feeling his way toward God, but it's the eagerness of a friend to be in touch with the one he holds dear. David's whole being, soul and flesh, are deeply restless and unsatisfied without God. So David pursued God before he pursued anything else. We see that my soul thirsts for you, my flesh. Thanks for you. Earnestly I seek you. Sometimes some translations, perhaps if you have the King James out there or New King James, early will I seek you. It's a a word designating priority. It could be temporal priority. It's Not clear, but certainly it includes both. What he's saying is, God, you are the priority of my life. The pursuit of God was David's first and foremost pursuit. He was not complacent or passive about it, was he? He wasn't just sitting around. No, he initiated to go hard after God. He pursued God with focused intensity. And our our pursuit of God must be intentional as well. So seeking God, first of all, involves a passion for God. And only God can create that in you. Has God rocked your life in such a way as to unsettle you of all your other trusts, to where you look to him like David looked to him? It doesn't have to come in these words necessarily, but in your soul, in your heart of hearts, you echo. This cry echoes in your own soul. You know it. You, I know exactly what he's talking about. I've been there. I've been in prayer and said, oh, God. Oh, my father. And you relate to him as a friend, not as some stranger. So it all flows from relationship with God. And it flows from relationship founded on Christ and what he has done. Oh, God, you are my God. Therefore, earnestly, I seek you. Don't forget that. Don't think, don't measure your passion for God as the means by which you are right with God. Enjoy the gospel freedom that Christ has secured for you so that you may pursue God as a friend and as one who loves your soul. And as Pastor Ted read from Psalm 147, the one who takes pleasure in it. That's where we want to be. And that's where passion for God flows. Passion for God flows from that. It doesn't flow from just trying to conjure it up. It flows from the gospel. It flows from remembering what we already have by virtue of our relationship with him. So, secondly, not only does seeking God involve a passion for God, but seeking God involves worship of God. So, passion for God, verse 1, and worship of God, verses 2 through 4. So, let's look at verse 2. So, as a result of this great, Passion that I have for you, God, that can't be satisfied by anything but you. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. This is a profoundly worshipful couple of verses. It's all about worship. It's all about worshiping God. But let me say this. Seeking God is a profoundly corporate thing. And we need to hear that in our Western individualistic West with all of our private devotions which I'm in favor of and which I'm going to come to in just a moment. But let me just press this. There is a corporate aspect to seeking God that needs to be underscored and shouted from the rooftops. God is sought in the midst of his people. So many people. I was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday who's not a believer. This is so, so common my relationship with God, my individual relationship with God, I seek God, I have my own relationship with Jesus, da 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 da, da. And that is just not biblical. To, to have, now, is it biblical to have a personal relationship with Jesus, of course? But hear what I'm saying. It's in isolation from fellowship with other Christians. It's in isolation from the church. It's in isolation from God's sanctuary. It's in isolation... From the place where he manifests his power and glory. It's in isolation from the place where we bless him and lift up our hands. It's an isolation from all that. And God cannot be sought like that. God must be sought in the midst of his people. David says so. When I have a passion for God, he says, and I'm in the desert, I looked upon you in the sanctuary. I went to the place, I went to the temple where you were manifested and where you were known. Where's the temple today? The people of God. The church of Jesus Christ is the sanctuary. It is the temple in which we seek God, not real estate, bricks and mortar anymore. We'll be one day in the new heavens and new earth when the temple, bec- the, the earth becomes the temple of our God and of his Christ. But for right now, in this part of redemptive history where we are living, we seek God in the midst of his people. Now, notice how David describes this experience in the sanctuary. He says in verse 2, beholding your power and glory. God was in the sanctuary manifesting his greatness. And it was manifested, David saw it in such a way that it reminded him of the greatness of his love for him. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life. He knew the steadfast covenant faithfulness of God for him. And that caused him to bless him, to praise him, to behold him, to look upon him, to lift up his hands in God's name. And this is to be our corporate experience. We are to come to church, so to speak, gather with God's people on the lookout for God. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. We come here for him. First and foremost, is it a delight to see each other? Of course. But we're here for him. We're coming after him. And we come to praise him with our lips. Verse 3, my lips will praise you. We come to bless him in all circumstances, whether we've had a great week or a terrible week. We come to bless him as long as we live. Because we exist to bless his name and glorify him. We come to enjoy and be reminded of how great he is and how great his love is for us. Beholding his power and glory, being satisfied with his steadfast love. We should be leaving those doors every week, week in and week out, with a greater sense. God loves me. God is great. God is powerful. God is awesome. And he has pledged himself to be my God. And we lift up our hands in his name. Yes, we do raise our hands in his name and bless him. So all this corporate dimension of seeking God, we need to understand and appreciate. You know, I love, I love, love, love the book Pilgrim's Progress. Love it, love it, love it. I know I'm among good company because you all love it too. But... The idea of a solitary pilgrim making his way to the celestial city joined intermittently by traveling companions is not necessarily the biblical vision of the church. I love John Bunyan, and he he, he emphasized the individual Christian's responsibility, but it's not the full picture of what it means to seek God. Just walking the trail and wondering where he is, and all of a sudden a couple companions come along and encourage you every now and then. That's not the biblical vision. Neither... And I love Jerry Bridges, too, and I'm picking on my heroes now. In his famous book, The Pursuit of Holiness, I love Jerry Bridges, his little book, Pursuit of Holiness. One cover has a solitary figure walking on a vast stretch of land, and the quote on the back is holiness, the Christian's joint venture with God. Now, that's fine for what it says, but it implies, it can imply, the pursuit of holiness is a noble but solitary expedition. We do it on our own. And we need to underscore the role of what's happening right here in our whole seeking of God. Your seeking of God will be inhibited. To the degree that you are not engaging in corporate gatherings on the lookout for God, seeking to behold his power and glory, bless him, praise him with your lips, going hard after him. And I know I'm preaching to people who faith, you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't believe that. I just want to underscore that and say this. among Among the gathered people of God, God manifests his presence in ways that he does not and has not ordained to do so in individual devotions during the week. There are certain dimensions of our seeking of God that we will only, only, only ways we will know him is if we gather with his people and pursue him together. So the worship of God is critical. The worship of God is a profoundly corporate idea. So passion for God, worship of God, third element of seeking God. Devotion to God, devotion to God. We have passion for God, verse 1, worship of God, verses 2 through 4, and then devotion to God, verses 5 to 8. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Now I just said, seeking God involves the worship of God. And now I'm going to say something that's complementary and just as essential. Seeking God involves your individual pursuit of him when nobody else is around. You will not seek God. If you only seek him here, you must seek him in the secret place when no one sees anything but him, when you're only there with him. Notice what David does. He says, my soul will be satisfied with rich, fat and rich food. Oh, what a good image. We love to eat, don't we? And you know what it's like to have a good meal. You know what it's like to unbuckle that belt. Guys, I hope... Guys, unbuckled and just sit there and enjoy being satisfied with a good meal after a good meal. It's a few feelings like it in the world. And David's saying, My soul's going to be that way. My soul's going to sit back and go, Ah, it's good. That was so good. But how's it going to happen? how is that kind of soul satisfaction going to happen? David gives us the answer in verse six, seven, and eight. Notice first word of verse six, when my soul will be satisfied when I remember you on my bed. When I'm laying down at night and I can have anything I want go through my mind. If you want a fat, Satisfied soul, think about God when you go to bed. Remember him upon your bed. Pray to him. Speak to him. Talk to him. Reflect on him. It says, I remember you on my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. You're recalling the day. You're thinking back over the day. You're thinking about how God has helped you how God has blessed you. You're remembering the Lord. You've been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing, I sing for joy under your protection, under your guidance, under your care. I remind myself of these things that I'm protected by you, that you're my helper. And then verse eight, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, let me say three things about this individual devotion to God, what is it to characterize? What's it to look like? And I think David gives us the answer here in the passage. The first thing that this individual seeking of God involves is meditation upon the word of God or meditation upon God in his word. Verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Both the Old and New Testaments say that it is the setting of the mind and heart on God. It's the conscious fixing and focusing of our mind's attention and our heart on God. Listen to 1st Chronicles 22:19. Notice the relationship between meditation and seeking God. Now, set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Set your mind and your heart to seek. Think, remember, meditate. The setting of the mind is the opposite of mental coasting. It's the opposite of letting happen what's going to happen. Think about what's going to pop in my mind. It's the conscious choice to direct the heart to God in our private moments. This is what Paul prays for the church. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, this will be a good benediction for today. I'll just go ahead and benedict you right now. I don't think that's even a word. But... May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And to the steadfastness of Christ. That's what I pray is your re- is what's happening to you when you go to sleep. Is that your mind is being directed to the love of God. It is a conscious effort on our part, but that effort to seek God is itself a gift from God. So the seeking is the conscious effort to get through. The words on the page of the Bible are things that you've stored in your brain and memorized, which you should do because I don't know how you're going to meditate in your bed in the dark. You can't look at a Bible because it's dark. So this obviously implies that we should have some memory work. We should have some Bible in our hearts and in our minds. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to bring anything to the surface, which is just another reason I want to underscore that the reason why I put that in the bulletin each week is to give you something to chew on in your... When you go to bed, but please take that Psalm 63 verse, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Take that and think about that. So to constantly set our minds toward God and all of our experiences, to direct our minds and hearts toward Him through the means of His revelation in His Word. And that's what seeking God means. There's, as you know, as you are well aware, because you live in this world as well, there are endless obstacles that we must get around in order to see him clearly so that we can be in the light of his presence. So meditation upon his word is critical. Second prayer is critical too, right? Verse seven, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I'll sing for joy. David's praying there. You have been my help in the shadow of your wings. I'll sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So as we direct our hearts and minds to God, we cry out to him. And that's what seeking the Lord means. Prayer is a dimension. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Seeking calling. Seeking the Lord involves prayer. Job, verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 5. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty. Seeking pleading. So seeking involves calling, pleading. But notice what the result of this is. What's the result of this seeking of this meditating on God's word, of this praying to God, this private devotional life with God, not just on the bed. okay? but that's where David's taking us to. But just our whole prayer, word, prayer life. Where's it going? It's leading to satisfaction. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied with that and rich food when I remember when I pray. So could it be that the reason that you lack satisfaction in God this morning is because you're not meditating on God and praying to God? Or you're not worshiping God. So when God, when David woke up in the middle of the night, his first and best thoughts were about God, weren't they? I mean, he was he was God conscious all the time. So what do you think about as you go to bed at night? What is swimming in your brain? As you wake in the morning, what are the first thoughts that come flooding in? We have to fight, brothers and sisters. This is not going to be a seeking God. As we said, is not a not a passive activity. So, but we seek it because we want satisfaction. We want rich food, belly hunger satisfied. If you get that vision, if you get that vision. You'll want to meditate. Otherwise, meditation is just a dry, empty exercise. I guess I should think about that because God wants me to. Okay, I'll obey. But David doesn't want you to obey that way. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with rich food when I meditate. So let that be the vision that you're pursuing. I want to experience what it's like for God to satisfy me the way a good steak does in my soul or a salad whatever your particular culinary choices are. So it involves seeking God, involves passion for God, worship of God, and devotion to God. One more thing. Seeking God involves trust in God. So we've got passion, we've got worship, we've got devotion, now we've got trust. And that's verses 9 to 11. This is where David looks up from thinking about worship and thinking about devotion and meditation and prayer and looks out to his circumstances that haven't changed. Okay? No change in circumstances yet. But what is his resolve? Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life like my own son Absalom shall go down into the depths of the earth. And he may go down with them. They shall be given over, meaning he will die. He may die too. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. It's an image of God's judgment. Verse eleven. But the king I will rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of the liars will be stopped. What David? What is David doing? He's actively placing his trust in God. That's what he's doing. He's actively transferring his trust from himself and his ability to manipulate circumstances, and he's trusting in God, and he's saying, I'm banking on these realities. God will judge. God will take care of me. I will rejoice, though they seek to destroy my life, and they will go down to the pit. But I will rejoice in God. If they kill me, it's going to dispatch me into his presence. He's actively placing his trust in the God he knows. And we have to do that too if we're going to seek him. Because seek him involves getting up off our beds and leaving this church building. we got to go out and live in the world. Job, family, neighbors, friends, activities, things going on. What are you going to do in all the in-between time of all your spiritual stuff? You're going to trust God. That's what you're going to do. Trust in God. We have to... There is, a, there is a seeking involved in just trusting and just relying on his promises. And, his, and it's not necessarily, I mean, it involves a, a decision of our will to, to, and our mind to trust those things and, and, and bank on those things. But, we, but David's looking out at his circumstances. Circumstances haven't changed. And he's believing by faith and living in accordance with God's truth that's beginning to trump his fear. And as he looks to the future, it looks good. It looks like he's headed to God, and he's pretty excited about that. So trust is critical to seeking God. We can have all the devotions we want. You could read your Bible till you're blue in your face, but if you don't believe it and live it, it does you no good. If you, don't, if you come into worship and you lift your hands in his name, but you don't trust him and you're riddled with anxiety all week. Know your God. So this dimension is critical. It's the living dimension. It's the ground dimension. It's putting feet to our faith. It's putting our notions that we have up here into our hearts and lives and living in accord with them. We cannot seek God if we don't do that. God will not be found by people who don't trust him. So we can be the spiritual people and we can read our Bibles and we can pray and we can come to the meetings and we can gather and we can worship. But if when we leave these doors, we act like unbelievers, then we just waste, we're wasting our time. All of these dimensions, brothers and sisters, all of these components have to be here. And I'm telling you what, if we seek God with passion, if we devote ourselves to him in private places, if we come here on the lookout for him and worship him and we're committed to trusting him and following him and believing his promises, you will know God. God will show up big time in your life, big time. And you will know, you will know the face of God. You will know beyond the shadow of a doubt what his presence is all about, what his conscious, manifested, trusted presence is all about. You won't just know God in abstract. You will know God personally because you will have experienced what David has been experiencing throughout his life. And and for your encouragement, you have been experiencing these things if you're a Christian. You have passion for God. As a believer, you have a desire to worship God. You have a desire to be devoted to God, and you do trust in God. And what I'm saying is give yourself to that. Give yourself. Seek his face continually. Go after him. He's not going to dodge you and play games with you. Say, well, uh, no, he's not going to move. He's going to be there, and he's going to come to you. And the great promise of those who seek the Lord is that he will be found. Is it not? First Chronicles 28, 9. If you seek him, he will be found by you. That's his promise. Is that reliable or not? Did God say that? Then you can bank on it. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And when he's found, there's great reward. Hebrews 11, 6. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who Who seek him? You'll be rewarded with God, the best gift he could ever give you. Anything else would not be loving. So God himself is our great reward. He's the one we seek. David did not ask God to change his circumstances one bit. Did you notice that in the whole psalm? Now, he probably prayed that, and it's not wrong to pray that. Other psalms teach us to pray for that. But here, when David, going through a dry spell, going through a season of drought, he looks to God, and he cries out to God. He seeks his strength. He seeks his presence. And that's what this whole series is designed to do, this whole series on the Psalms this summer. why we wanted to put this sermon kind of up front, because we are going after God this summer. We're going to to try to learn about God from the inside, from people who are walking with him, so we can both evaluate our own walk and be given a vision for what we can have as we walk and pursue him. So let's be passionate for God. Let's let our passion flow out of our present relationship with him. Let's worship him. Let's be devoted to him. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for our dear, dear brother, David. We love him because of what you did in him. And we we really look forward to meeting him. We find ourselves in him. We find our desperate need for you in him. And when we read his words that you inspired, we find our own soul's cry being echoed. So thank you. Thank you for the 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 reality that's in the book of Psalms, the nitty-gritty guts of this book that is so helpful to us because it allows us to see what it's like to seek you from the inside. Help us, Father, to evaluate our lives in light of what we've heard this morning from your word and to think about these things and to do appropriate biblical reflection on these things, but also help us to be thrilled with the prospect of what's held out for us as we Pursuing you with passion and are worshiping you and devoted to you and trusting you. So we, we want to seek you, Lord. You have said, seek my face. So, Lord, we want to leave this place saying, oh, Lord, now more than ever, by your grace, your face do we seek. In Jesus' name.